0: Our next guest is an award-winning animator, Queensland Local and father of two. His popular cartoon featuring a family of healer dogs does an extraordinary job at capturing the day-to-day challenges and joys of parenting through a playful, validating and accessible animation for the entire family. Today we're talking about playful parenting, our own childhood versus a modern childhood experience. And addressing parental challenges, I am of course talking about the creator of Bluey and many other animations. Very talented, Joe Brum. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries, Lucas. How you going? Good, good, good. Firstly, thanks for Bluey on behalf of my family. Um, my Father's Day gift consisted of uh, my dad's awesome book, which is which oh. is a Bluey book, of course. Yep, um, yep. And I only just recently realised, through researching for this podcast, where my son got the phrase, for real life, from. Right. So, thanks for that.
1: <laughs> no worries. Yeah, well, I often wondered, yeah, whether that was my kids that made that up or whether that was pre-existed then,
0: but, um, yeah, it makes me laugh. Absolutely. And... Um, You've done such a good job. Obviously, you've got a background in animation. Can you just give us a bit of context how it came to be before we get into the, all your episodes and parenting and all of that? Yeah, no
1: worries. Uh, I've studied. I always wanted to do something, you know, with drawing. I love drawing. And then I, when I left high school, I did an animation course uh, for three or four years. And mainly did 2D animation. This was back when we did it on paper. Um, and then sort of had a, lucked into a job for the first two or three years straight afterwards where I, it was one of the very few jobs where you just got to do hand-drawn animation. And it was it was on that job that I really sort of, I guess, uh, learnt, you know, just improved my animation. And then... Um, sort of started moving into Flash and cut out stuff done on the computer and then moved to London and then spent 10 years working in children's TV, more or less, and that sort of set the stage for, for what would be to come with Bluey.
0: Yeah, and um, we have met in the past, and I was lucky to hear you talk at the Childhood Summit from Australian Institute of Play. Um, you mentioned about moving past how um, childhood is presented and you highlighted your observation around childhood being presented in this milestone format. It's like, hey, go to school, ride a bike. Could you um, expand on your theory about, about that?
1: Yeah, like I, I think what I wanted to do with the show was move into a lot of the smaller little idiosyncratic moments that I was witnessing uh, while raising my daughters. So riding the bike and, and all those sort of big events uh, are well and good. And they, you know, we definitely, I definitely put them into episodes. It was all the little weird games that and weird moments that I knew would kind of fade away um, in time that I wanted to capture. Cause they seemed to me like there was, they were just as important and just as entertaining, I guess, to my kids and, and yeah so it was sort of it was very much a product of being there in the wild with my kids that i could witness these little games that we would play and then they became the stuff of bluey, and i think that's that's probably why a lot of parents and kids relate to it because whilst
0: the games change a little bit the nature of the games
1: are are common to their to their kids
0: yeah and what what do you think is that underlying thread of what makes those experiences memorable
1: well in terms of memorable i mean you mean in terms of like the little small yeah. events, yeah the small ones well well they kind of i mean they're not memorable in, in the sense that you know a game of magic xylophone you, you, we might play for a week and then i don't think you know when when you the kid's 20 and they recall the games they used to play i don't think that one would would stick in their memory mm. Uh, but at the time it's a very engrossing game and it's you know it's it's very definitely very memorable um, at the time and I think what that is is it's well that's what i what I've been trying to figure out is there's some structure to the games that kids would play with themselves with their friends with their siblings and with the parents and that's sort of I guess what what I've slowly been learning as I have been making Bluey and studying more about play, like what are the structures of kids' games? And, yeah, that's what I find fascinating.
0: And um, obviously you're doing children's animation before you had children, so what ignited that spark of interest and that passion of play?
1: Yeah, well, a a very specific incident, really, when my uh, daughter went to... She started prep in the sort of local state school and... You know, she was very. She used to play a lot, you know, and and withdraw a lot. And I think when she started prep, we just noticed over the period of period of the year, it just wasn't working out for her. And she, um, I, you know, just sort of being inside for so long didn't seem like that was the natural place which she was ready for. You know, compared to the. The, the, just the year previous, you know, when she was in kindergarten. And I, so I started looking into it more and more and it just seemed as though the academic learning had supplanted the a lot of the time and the space that in the previous year of kindergarten, the, the kids would be engaged in role play mm. and different games and stuff and, and exercise and movement and... And so that I kind of then, you know, when we sort of fixed the situation, uh, you know, my kids started to thrive again. I It got me thinking, well, what is it about this play that, you know, was when it was taken away had such a dramatic effect? And and that's when I started sort of reading whatever I could and and kind of figuring out, well, look, you know, I mean nothing you you don't know obviously but it was all new to me and it's it's like that is this stage that they're at where where play is a really good vehicle for them learning to uh, move out of toddlerhood Mm -hmm. and into a social setting and it's a very important step in a kid's life as far as I can tell because it's when they're first learning the, the social rules and they're mastering their own, you know, temperament, I guess, you know, sort of, they're leaving behind that, uh, that self-centeredness of, of the toddler period and they're learning because they, you know, they're learning to cooperate, in know, with at least one other player so that they can get a, a game going that recreates real life, which seems to be what they always want to do. They, they want to recreate what they're seeing in the adult world and that invariably involves you know more than more than just themselves it's a social setting usually cafe or trains or shops so that was it made sense to me after that it's like yeah like that's an important phase and play is a really good vehicle for for the sort of um graduation of that fra- you know, phase and if you if you bring in something else like academic learning and and remove the ability to play then you you know it's not going to be it's not going to be great for for that you know for what I guess the the little human body needs
0: at that time yeah so that was fascinating yeah and how does your childhood look like compared to your 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 childhood experience look like in comparison to your children's childhood because what well, my observation is you capture so well and acknowledge this nostalgia around the past and the 80s um, as I use with my children in the 80s um, if you need to watch that episode do it yourself a favour um, it's brilliant but you capture nostalgia so well but then also you capture the modern childhood so well equally is that something you set out to do?
1: No, I, I rarely looked back to my childhood. This is what I, I guess what I set out to do was to not look back to the hazy memories of my yes. childhood uh, but to just look at what was going on with, with my own kids because it was so much pressure and I was, you know, I think when you're your own childhood, you, you, you're inside looking out. Yeah, 100%. Right? Completely different mind state, and and there's an episode, Rug Island, which it was just my attempt to reconcile that. but it's like, you know, you it's you're in a completely different state of consciousness as a kid, and when you leave it and become an adult, it's you, you, you know, it's hard to it's hard to get back there, right? Yeah. So, no, I like I have a very very fond memories of, of childhood, and um, uh, especially I've got quite a few from under five, you know, but. It was they're too, they're not clear or concise enough to have written any uh, like a bluey episode about. Yeah. Um, so, but but then when it came time to do the episode you're talking about fairy tale, that was just, you know, yeah, I wanted to to have my little stab at how I remembered the eighties, and you know, and so that was a lot of fun. Just the comparison of what you you know, how we were raised. But I think the, the fundamental core of how I was raised versus how I'm raising my kids I don't think
0: has changed that much, mm. but a hell of a lot of the, the sort
1: of, <laughs> you know, know, the style and the superficialities are different. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and that also carries across into what you were just saying around this institutionalisation of childhood and the association of, oh, okay, time for school, school's the authority, school knows what's best. But then, mm. when you're actually checking in with that your individual child's experience, you have to be a bit critical and be that authority in saying, "Well, is this the actual best based on my child?" Oh, hundred percent and I,
1: my wife and I became extremely critical and uh, yeah you know it was it's, it is confusing because it's, it definitely wasn't every child. Yeah. Um, it seems as though there were certain kids and maybe it's certain parents who want certain things out of their kids i mean look when when our kids stopped drawing <laughs> my wife and i are both drawers yeah. so that was that wasn't ideal for us um so yeah i i, I think you're 100 percent correct yeah. i think i just remember back to when i was well, at least uh, in that first in year one or you know preschool preschool was a lot different to how it was it is now and that's not just me remembering it that seems to be um what a lot of people are telling me so uh, it wasn't it wasn't even that I could say oh well but I did this you know it's like well no we didn't do this preschool we were still kicking around eating glue and stuff
0: so <laughs> you know, I don't know and um how do you feel about this situation you find yourself in as uh blue is now the pin-up boy for good parenting, and Chili, equally. Um, how do you feel about that pressure, if you will? <laughs>
1: uh, well, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of like you, you raise your own kids. You know, TV's there to entertain them. Even school is there to teach them, but, you know, you raise your own kids, and Bluey, I think, can be considered... In, it's just one more parenting book on your shelf that you, you either you love for a certain time and then maybe you ignore. You know, it's if it if I think the, probably the best thing about Blue is even if you don't agree with I guess uh, Chilean bandits what they do. I find even if I pick up a parenting book and I used to read a lot of them and I and I start reading it. Even if say this book isn't for me, I've found just the very act of reading a book about trying to be a really good parent has the effect for me of just going, yeah, you know what, like being a dad's a job and I'm going to, this, this person's written a book about how to do it really well, you know, it is something worth doing well. And just the act of reading that book, even if I don't learn anything or agree with it, often would frame it, put me in a frame of mind of, yeah, I'm going to like be a bit more conscious about this and try to do this well. And I hope, you know, maybe Bluey, at its very least, you don't have to agree with anything they do, but it is it is a show that, that says, yeah, like, parenting is an important... It's a very important thing, and this is two parents who are trying to put their whole heart into
0: yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. And I think the other side of that is doing it playfully. Yes, it is serious. Yes, it is a lot of responsibility. Um, there's no handbook or directions that come with your child but also i think the way you present it in such a fun playful way is makes it makes it accessible
1: yeah yeah i would say i mean plays at the heart of bluey and and it's it's at the heart of bluey because it seemed to be at the heart of what my kids wanted to do all the time so if there is a situation where like in fruit bat where you can you know maybe motivate your kid through, by taking on a playful attitude and you've got the energy for that, then then that's often a good outcome for everyone. It's not always possible, obviously, but, yeah, I feel like that's what I always tried to do with my kids because it just – it often would still get what I wanted done done and it just – it was a lighter way to approach life, a, a lighter way to approach
0: quite a arduous task, which is parenting. Yeah, and I – just wanted to fact-check something I found online. Um, I found an article saying around your first episode could have been deemed a bit risky to present on air um, around a bit of risky play. Obviously, as a playground designer that promotes risk, I find that really intriguing. Is there any truth to that story, number one? Uh, Which which episode? Um, They were saying it with the pilot was... um, reference trying to swing 360 oh, yeah.
1: on a swing yeah, yeah, yeah. and they
0: were like oh yeah, bit yeah. much
1: <laughs> yeah we, that was that was sort of pre-pilot it was like a little the very first little short thing i did and yeah it was my kid whenever i'd push her on the swing she'd always say push me all the way around you know and it was just this little joke we had all right i'm going to try and push you all the way around yeah and so that was the short and of course being cartoon bandit ends up pushing her all the way around yeah. It all works out. It doesn't work out for Bandit, but it's all safe. But when, you know, Ludo were trying to pitch the show to networks and broadcasters, um, you know, they all said, yeah, it's really funny, we love it, but, you know, like preschool has standards and practices, and this is, like, we wouldn't be able to show that because it's dangerous and da-da-da. And so it it landed in a lot of people's too hard basket. And to be fair, the show now doesn't break the rules of physics like that pilot does. Uh, but there's still a hell of a lot of, you know, um, we have to take all that into account,
0: what standards of practice Yeah, and, and also, like, parent when you're starting to talk about parenting, yeah. it's quite a sensitive topic that is hard for people to stretch outside their lane. Do you have to make a lot of considerations around, okay, how is this going to be perceived? And um, it's, it's a hard topic that you've made... Unpalatable.
1: Uh yeah, I guess so. I mean the show doesn't try and it's not a teaching yeah. show, so hopefully very rarely it comes down with like a verdict on yeah. a particular You know what I mean? It's more I like to think it shows Bandit and Chili from the parenting side just um exploring maybe both sides yeah. of how you do something. Um but yeah, you know, I, I try not to think about that. It's it's entertainment first. Yes. Um but, yeah, that, that's definitely a consideration, how people are going to perceive things. Um, but, but if you disappear too far down that hole, the, the thing's not going to get made yeah. at all, really. But, um, yeah, I, you know, this isn't a show teaching. And, and 0% in my head is this show teaching parents how to do anything. It's showing things that have happened to me in my yeah. life, usually. And you can take it or leave it. Like
0: the the aim is to. To be entertained by it, you know? yeah, it definitely does that. I, um, as you mentioned, like episodes. I can't help but um, puts a smile on my face, and so many conversations I've had in lead up to having this chat. It's like it seems that like so many people I know have a story around um, Bluey and how they relate to it personally or experiences they've had with their children. Did you set out to, what was the, what was the goal when you, or mission? Was it just entertainment? This is a cool story, cool way to deliver stuff or what were you thinking when you first delved into the project?
1: Yeah, well, it was, I guess it was to, you always want to just build on the shoulders of what the shows that you really like um, are. And you sort of, you want to, Add add value, you know, add things to them, and sort of and you've, you've got to create the show that you would want to see, you know. So, I really liked Peppa Pig, and I liked Charlie and Lola, and I liked Pocoyo, and these were the shows I was watching when my kids were really young, and and so I just thought, you know, what I want to build a show that's a bit like this, but you know, imagine if it was set in Australia, and you know, I really love dogs, and they all look so different. Imagine, you know, and then that was that was about. All consciously I had, and then, like I say, when it came time to write the episodes, this sort of thing happened with my daughter and, and the school, and and I started looking into play, and I, and I really started reading what it teaches, and and that just helped me suddenly go, yeah, you know what? These games that we're playing, uh, you know, there's there's real meaning in in the. The reasons why they're being played and what the kids are getting out of it, and so suddenly Bluey it was able to, the, the episodes and the stories were able to have a little more like heft to them, I guess. And something like the episode Calypso is, you know, it's it's entertaining enough to watch. It's kind of funny, but it's it, then if you if you're in that, you know, um, you know if you're willing to sort of go along with it, you you learn a lot about how someone orchestrates a bunch of kids playing in, in a productive way, you know, and sort of treats them like uh, like the different sections of an orchestra. And, and because good, te- good early childhood teachers do that yeah. and I've seen them do that. And it's like, I never knew they did that before I started studying this and talking to kindergarten teachers. And it was fascinating. It's like, wow, like what a great thing to do because it, this is, this is what you do to kids this age. You're trying to, you know, you've got a goal with them. They're not trying to learn their ABCs. They're trying to integrate themselves into a little social group mm. and you've got a teacher who, who's, who's doing that. And, and you know, you we talk about Smolansky, but Smolanski's studies were... That was what her studies were, you know. It was like, well, that, the, the main one was how, how do you facilitate play? What do you do? You know, and, and it just, I don't know, it's like when you, you discover an academic field, yeah, it was just fascinating. So that that was what then I think tacked on to all this surface level dogs and Brisbane and blah blah blah, yeah. and gave the show a bit of
0: like some protein, you yeah. know. And um, through your research and the challenge of articulating and dem- like demonstrating or. Just capturing in general what a robust childhood looks like. What does an authentic childhood look like to you?
1: I don't know. It just bluey just sort of. I guess if it looks like anything, it looks like what my kids
0: used to
1: do. You know, I was just borrowing the daily events from their lives. Uh, And but I, I would say an authentic childhood is yeah, it's full of it's way more squabbling, you know than then you would see in Bluey. I mean, we're not we're not there to show just kids endlessly fighting or behaving badly. But the way it seems to me, the way that kids move through that phase of toddlers into the seven and eight year olds is there's a lot of friction and heat coming off that, right? There's a lot of um, down. You know, there's a lot of dead ends and having to come back, you know, being or led back to the the main road. So. An authentic childhood to me for that age group, four to seven is lot lots of sparks, but this real just desire to want to recreate the adult world you know they they just they seem to want to be little adults that that seemed to be you know what
0: what my kids want to do you know
1: they want to recreate
0: yeah they, they want to play with it. you're like don't grow up fast and that's all they want to do <laughs> yeah. A bit crazy right and i try to say look just enjoy being
1: this age like you but it's always what's on the horizon and that's just the human thing you know we're always looking to the horizon i guess
0: absolutely what's the what's the challenges you you find as a parent um switching off the bluey hat and how do you personally navigate these the challenges that we face with raising children
1: yeah i, I probably the main challenge is for me at the moment uh i mean there's always just the fear that you're you're doing it right obviously that's just a general thing there but i think for me it's like i get my head around whatever phase they're just leaving you know like say they, you know they spend a few years in a particular phase and it's like i i get my head around it i think wow i think i understand what's going on but by then i've already entered the next phase so it's it's to a certain extent it's trying to catch up a bit in that sense I, I don't know all the it's pretty common I guess from what I'm hearing from all my friends, but just trying to get them off Nintendo's and you know I guess it's always look just trying to make sure they're still they're having the best of what I saw I had in my childhood, which was yeah there was there was Commodore sixty fours and stuff but there was a hell of a lot of running around and and you know. Being gone from your parents' side for whole days at a time, but yeah, I guess I, I, I'm just in a very my kids are a bit older now you know they're they're less involved than they were five or six years ago, yeah. and so I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around what my role is now because it's definitely a lot less involved than it was well both for my wife and I
0: than it was when they were toddlers like that was intense. Um,
1: yeah sorry it's not a great answer. No, to your it is, is a great answer.
0: I think so many people could absolutely relate to that and you articulated it really, really well that you're you're constantly playing catch up and you're constantly thinking you're not doing a good job. Yeah, oh,
1: always. But it is weird because they, yeah, I'm start, starting to see them cross a the river now, you yeah. know, and they they're not needing us the same way as they used to. And like they still they're still like your biggest fans and all that, but it's like they're just doing their own they're starting to become teenagers, you yeah. know, and that's that's quite fascinating and it's great. But it's it's not like it was when they were three and four. Mm.
0: Yes. And um going back to what you mentioned about getting them off the screens, obviously there's more and more media around screens. Um what what was your personal strategy to overcome that
1: uh our personal uh, look every time you say this you're gonna just have half the parents are gonna be relieved and half the parents are gonna be judged and like oh, whatever yeah but we try during school terms to to just restrict them to the weekend yeah. and to be fair they then make up for it on the <laughs> weekend but um yeah and just you know like it's just proximity from the eyes. I keep worrying about that, but yeah, look, it just, there's just a general vibe of like, okay, let's get off that thing. Now. Yeah. Uh, and school holidays are a bit of a free for all, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I, I, I just always love it when I come home and the kids have made something with their hands and, you know, they uh, or drawn something. Um, I do think, you know, there's really good games and video games have got, I think, I mean, there's some of my fondest memories of playing with my brothers and mates and I've made a living out of, you know, to a certain extent out of that world. So I want I want them to play the best games that, that humans have made, yeah. um, but I want them to also you know, have a balanced life and get out. You know, I, I don't think it's anything too different to, to most parents these days. It's just games are good now. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, they were, you know, they were... They were great when we were kids, but they weren't intensely worked on and multiplayer no. and as good as Minecraft. Like you played Minecraft, my god! Like it's just, it's just the game of the century. Like I would have been glued to that thing as a kid. My brothers would have been. So
0: yeah, we, you've got to combat, you've got to contend with that. Yeah, and is it is um, it. We're seeing that more, more of a competition for time, like the amount of schoolwork. Um, the amount of free time, the amount of extracurricular. There's a lot for children to contend with now um, in competition with, and it's also good. <laughs> it is, yeah.
1: I, I think, like, I, I guess what I'm trying to emulate what my parents did, which was very hands-off, mm. like we didn't get pushed into much, but, you know, we still, I mean, I still came out of my teenage years knowing how to play drums and guitar and bass yep. and you know, not decent enough at sport. Um so I have sort of I've got every confidence that my kids will find, you know, their way into into that sort of stuff, into what they're interested in. Yeah. Uh and as soon as they show an interest then, you know, we'll go for it. But yeah, we're we're not for better or for worse, we're a little more like um sit back and wait to find them they get interested in something. Yeah, and then and support out. that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's the right approach, but that's how I was raised, yeah. so
0: go with what you know. Yeah, absolutely. To talk about some episodes specifically, one of the top ones for me is The Creek. I think you've just done a fantastic job depicting that wonder of, of that can you give us a bit of a highlight of that for you, like where that came from or what inspired it?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, it was one of the very first steps that I wrote, The Creek, is probably number five. Um, and it was right when I was was really reading up on play and, and Creeks were a massive part of... I guess that was one where I was thinking about the childhood a bit because I did grow up in Creeks, you know, catching yabbies and stuff up in Cairns and every time we would take our kids down to the creek, they would love it. They would come alive and we could spend hours down there. So this obviously, you know, I knew it was something pretty universal. Um, and so that was what I typically will do is I would start reading, you know, then I was like, okay, well, what is it about playing in nature and all that? And I just read quite a lot of articles which were, um, I guess, contrasting, which sort of got a lot into brain science and what, You know how the brain what it learns and how it operates when it's in uh, a natural environment as opposed to a man-made environment and you know and what it one of the articles i think was was using playgrounds as comparison and it was saying you know playgrounds you know they, they have even surfaces and whereas when you're in nature, you've got an uneven surface and just the, the calculations that your brain needs to do just with footwork are completely different, you know, and, and it's good for you, you know. So even down to that, and then they would go the germs front, you know, like yeah. it's being exposed to that with germs. But the core of that episode was that you, in a playground, you generally know what, you know, the, the playground equipment I guess, tells the kid what you need to do with it to a large extent. A seesaw yeah. is pretty much like, yep, get on there, sit on that, and then do this, you know, a swing, get on this, do that. Whereas in nature, and Bluey, when she gets down there, she overcomes all these obstacles, the spider web and all this. And But her final obstacle is she asks Dad, well, so what are we supposed to play? <laughs> because she's in an environment where the environment isn't telling them what to play. And that's her final hurdle, you know. Dad's just like, yeah, I don't know, you just sort of muck around. And and that's enough to open to, for the last sort of um, straw to fall away, you know. And it's like, oh, right, we, you know, I bring myself to this environment. Yeah. Um, around. And that was an interesting idea, I thought. And, you know, and it, it is true. And so, yeah, I, I, I love that. I
0: love that app. Yeah. And the... Um... The in Australia we do suffer from what they is referred to as play bias, so like the traditional climb here, walk here, slide here, um, they call play bias, and it's a loading of an area with like a one type of play that has the effect of excluding the child from play. Mm. That's interesting. So like a playground.
1: To just like slide, yeah, climbing,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's like you can see when you look at it, you want to be like, for me, being a pl- like assessing play value and giving recommendations on it. Yes, I design and build playgrounds, but we we are designing in play experiences, not just a playground. So I like to call them a play environment, which is beyond just a post and platform, so right. So, yeah, and the number one time spent in a traditional park is actually transitioning through the environment. Um, It's just wide enough to move past each other. It's not like you're climbing up um, an area to engage socially up there because there's not enough room because you're just running through it. You're going up the ladder or up the climbing wall or up the rope. They're all just transition, transition, transition. And where the true play value comes is when you can have that um, extended social interaction because the longer the play frame, the more the social interaction, the more opportunity for the learning for the child. And, like, parks just don't lend themselves to that. And it's play bias in the fact that you go to a public park, you've got a post and platform, you've got swing, slides, and that's about it. You go to another park, you've got swings and slides. And you might get some rockers and things as well. And when you when I assess a environment, I want to be like, OK, where's the imprint of the child on this space? Like, where, where's yeah. the evidence that they're even here? And you can look at these huge million-dollar parks and you go, OK, where's the child been? Like, you can't see it anywhere. They haven't made it their own. And that's why I love the creek, because it's those places behind the fence. It's those places next to the park that we find value in because it honours our agency. It gives us the independence to, as you mentioned earlier, explore and problem solve and mess up. But um, unfortunately, so many children aren't getting that because the play happens at the destination.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And you you tend to see it, don't you? You know, like there's, it's like it's the push for the the play equipment, you know, Mm. it's like there's no room. sit up there and chat or form a little social
0: game. No. It, it's like, get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> that's my... And then the other side of it is, oh, let's build a natural, we'll build a natural playground. And they end up building a post and platform out of wood and putting sandstone yeah. around it and now it's natural. And you're like, ah, uh, no, <laughs> it's not. You've just recreated the same thing. It's just ending up in a yeah. play bias again.
1: That's true. And... Often, a lot of the best games I've seen from my kids and the other kids at the playgrounds are uh, sometimes underneath this big swing platforms. They have a little shop front set yep. up and, you know, got a chip bark and stuff like that. Like, they're, they're often where, where the, I guess, the play, which is more as you would see in a kindergarten, yep. um, starts happening, which is, you know, like a little shop customer. And,
0: yeah. Um, yeah see.
1: and often I find they're too prescriptive they've
0: got little scales oh, and yeah or it's a rocket so it's a rocket yeah um, yeah, yeah. And, and those shop fronts are generally where the only evidence you'll see of children actually being in that zone it'll be like a little bundle of leaves off to the side on a on that little shop front yeah um, yeah it's like, and also yeah. generally with those little shop fronts it's a one entry point into the little shop front as well. So whoever's entering into that zone is there making a conscious choice. Okay, I know the play that's going on here. I'm actively engaging with it or I'm moving on to my other stuff. Um, Yes. So, yeah, I want to move towards that gross, like, big physical movement. Yeah, I'm going to run up the platform or I'm going to go swing or move fast. But if you want that social interaction, it needs to be in an area where you're separating those frames or the styles of play. Yeah, Otherwise, it just doesn't last. Yeah, it's kind of like on a highway almost trying to play. play. Yeah, and that's where we're seeing great success with um, the evolution of the Junkyard Playground. Um, We have a 20-foot shipping container. We call it the Imaginasium, and it's full of junk. It's like boulders and rocks and hammers and drills and wood and pellets and it's like going to the tip with your dad and we open that up yeah. and say all right have fun keep keep yourself yeah. safe and the creations yeah. that come out of it are phenomenal because environment creates behavior so if we create a robust environment with diversity in material that a child can engage with that means that they're, they're gonna their behavior is going to reflect that and they're going to play how the environment supports them
1: yeah, uh, I would, I would definitely second that. I mean, the amount of times I've you know spilled water on a keyboard, and and said, "Ah, kids, this one's busted," and then that would just that would spark games for days. Yeah. Just the old keyboard, you know, and it'd set shop fronts up and all yeah. sorts, you
0: know. There's even a school in in. There's a few schools in Brisbane doing it, but um, one of the principals have been capturing some data around this junkyard playground and really changing the policy on play. Um, He converted his tennis court and just filled it up with junk so the children go build (laughs) their cubbies and they have saws and hammers and water pumps that they make their own water courses and mud kitchens. And um, the policy is that plays not to be deprived as punishment.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. How old are these? Primary school, yep.
0: And... um, And so it can't be deprived. He switched lunch times around so you actually go and play first and you eat your lunch after. Um, So it gives them that mellow time out. And they'll actually eat their lunch because when you get out of classroom, especially for a boy, you eat your chips and then you go, can we go play now? Um, And you leave the rest in your lunchbox. (laughs) So they're actually eating. (laughs) Um, And they have seen, like in one year, 60% drop in major incidents at their school, uh, behavioural challenges, um, wow. and all because it's just saying, hey, play is the priority.
1: Yeah, well, that was, you know, something like that would have been really great to know back when we were going through it because it just seemed like, man, this doesn't seem the natural, like this seems like a square peg in a round hole. But, you know, that story is fantastic because it shows the priorities that kids have, yeah. right? Like play first, eat your lunch, late, you know eat your lunch after that's the priorities
0: in their head yeah Um, using their physiology for the psychology you're like hey get this moving you're stressed let's burn it off let you mellow out get nourished and then let's go back to this thing that's really actually quite challenging and quite a stretch for our physiology to deal with like sitting down concentrating, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a lot. Like, I can relate to your daughter's situation. My son's just moved to prep and it sounds pretty much identical to your daughter. So where? Well, yeah, look,
1: so much of it was sitting and so much of it was just sitting bored while, you know, there was a couple of boys would just get chewed out yeah. <laughs> for half the past because they weren't sitting. So so I was like, all right, even when I'm sitting, all I'm listening to is the teacher chew these these other couple of kids out because they didn't want to sit down. And so that sort of spiraled all. I think one thing which too, which I'm learning is this sort of, you know, this idea of, well, we're, we're integrating play into the learning mm-hmm. that did, that was, you know, that was an authentic play like the, of what you're describing mm-hmm. now where the kids are free and unstructured, um, you know, whilst it, I guess the intentions are good, it, it seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't as nourishing as, as what you're talking about. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It's got, it's got different outcomes, different aims
0: for it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that statement sums it up, really. That type of prioritising play, like, frames it back to supporting the process, not so much the outcome. Well,
1: yeah, well, because your aims are different, yeah. right? If you're using a game so the kid can learn um, sight words, then that's fine. Yeah. But a, a game with a bunch of kids, if you let them play that, has has a great outcome, which is those kids get a little more socialised. You know, they learn to argue their beefs out. You know, they figure out how to share and cooperate. That's an outcome in and in, of itself. Mm-hmm. And I would argue... Probably that outcome takes precedence and allows that kid to then learn their sight words better. You know, like you've got to master just being able to cooperate with the kids around you and all that before, before, you know, before you're ready to learn sight words. And then, and not to mention just how it improves the kid's imagination and ability, to, you know, to recreate a world in their heads, yeah. which then it becomes of vital importance years later when you want to try and imagine what ancient Greece looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. You do know. know. You do know a
1: lot. That's for sure. I do. And I, I, sorry, what I'm saying, I don't know. It's like, it was a really shit year. Yeah. Thinking about it. It was like, there was just so much that I feel like I, I hope is being improved for kids like yours now who are just starting it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, I like to think it is. And, um, yeah, I'm optimistic about um, there is those those principles out there really pushing the boundaries and um, the fact that a lot of this is happening in Brisbane is is really cool. Yeah, good on well, I could say. Yeah, and I'd like to get your thoughts. We've discussed play a lot, but um, what does play mean to you? Well,
1: I mean, look, you know, you come across all sorts of definitions in your reading. Yeah. I always loved, I can't that... That popular one, which is it's the voluntary overcoming of unnecessary obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very nice academic way to look at it, and and contained within that is is it's pretty clear cut to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, like play to me, I guess as an adult now means going and playing sport, playing touch footy or soccer, and. You know, other than playing with my kids, yeah. um, it's, it's playing with the kids now has taken on more of a, a. It's now that they're a bit older, it's kind of it's a little more like jazz now, and I'm is the best way to understand it. Whereas they don't want to play an organised game with me like they used to, like cafe. I'm not a customer or mm-hmm. anything like that. They just want me to grab them and tickle them and squeeze their legs and. Yank them this way and just roughhouse with yeah. them. You know that, that seems to be what I've been doing for the last year. And but in terms of play for me, yeah, like it's it's on the it's playing soccer or touch footy, and and I know it's important for me. And because I, I it's a completely different world that I enter when I walk onto the field. And this, these are just muck around games with, with mates and stuff. But I just love the immediacy of it. I love – it's just a different – you're just in the moment a lot more and, you know, maybe that's a bit – that's how kids feel when they play. I, I forget as a kid to a, to a large extent what it felt like. But it. I do know that when I step onto a field now or go for a surf or something, it does feel like um, it's just a whole different mind state. And to a certain extent, I do when I'm writing something you do play with ideas and play with different storylines and stuff. Um, yeah, it's just, I guess it's just anything where, where I put the kind of serious part of my brain on hold and just, and forget about outcomes, um, in a creative sense, you know, definitely on the field, (laughs) forgetting about it, But, but yeah, it's, that's That's what play means for me now, in terms of me as an adult. Um,
0: yeah for in terms of the kids it's it's a lot. and um what's what's been your most surprising thing about um bluey coming to life and the whole bluey phenomenon?
1: Oh well, surprising I mean I'm quite surprised at how how many people have found the commonalities with with the things. That bandit and chili and the kids go through, you know. People saying that's exactly like you're looking into my house for these, these script things. Okay, you know, because I wrote them very much. Just I wasn't trying to, you know. Go now. What what experience do the most amount of people have? It was just like, wow, this was really funny that happened the other day, <laughs> and put it in the show. And then then you read that, oh yeah, this this happens <laughs> to me all the time. So that level of and sometimes that like facsimile level of uh of relatability that a lot of the audience have sort of told me is was probably the most surprising. Yeah. I mean I was detained but I didn't know it was I was like you know capturing something so universal sometimes.
0: Yeah. I had a um friend message me who's in the UK Lee um <laughs> saying how um was it Bluey's changed his parenting life or something like that? <laughs> so right. it reaches reaches so far and wide. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, you know, it crosses the seas and and retains its relatability,
0: which it shouldn't on the surface. Yeah, it, right? it like... absolutely shouldn't, but it it does because it's like you said, it's real. Yeah. Um. What's What's the future hold for Bluey and the family? Uh, well, the immediate future is
1: is trying to finish season three. Uh, it's, we're at that, the very end stages of it now, so everyone's, you know, quite tired, but it's I'm really proud. I mean, you, you, we've released the first half of it already, but I'm in, in Australia, but I'm really excited for these last 26 apps to, to go to air of season three um, because I think there's there's some of my favorites in there. Um, and then... Between seasons, we do some little bluey shorts, which are little usually one to two-minute thing, little fragments of ideas that didn't fit into episodes. Yeah. So, yeah, as soon as we finish season three, we'll, we'll work on some of them. Um, and Yeah, that'll, that'll keep us busy for another few months. Excellent.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. There's no point asking people where they can find you because people can find you everywhere and see Bluey everywhere. Personally, like I mentioned at the start, thanks for contributing to um, my kids, my family. Um, For a guy that designs playgrounds and thinks about play all the time, to see parenting demonstrated in such a playful way um, is just so refreshing and so relatable. So... Thanks for the hard work. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing your experiences with the world. Yeah, my pleasure, Lucas.
1: That's all good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.